forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks as always for listening. Um, we've got some great episodes coming up in the coming months. Um, I hope you'll really enjoy them. I'll be honest with you. Some of these I was not looking forward to. And they turned out to be great. Um, it's always fun to have these conversations about the business and process of writing. Uh, how people figure out how to tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoyed having these uh, upcoming conversations. And I hope you enjoy listening to them. Um, it's spring. Things are okay. I keep hearing people want to get back to normal, but I don't think there's any going back to normal. Um, and that goes for both the business and the world. Uh, you know, the business is still figuring itself out. And now it's not so much about the pandemic, which is nice, um, but about these huge streamers figuring out what they want and what works and what people are watching. Um, and I think the answer is the same as it's always been. Yes, I have the answer. I think someone should just ask me. But the answer is the same as it's always been. And that is people want to watch something that speaks to them. And that's not something you can manufacture. And I think the one thing that the huge hits of the past few years, whether it's Bridgerton or Ted Lasso or Squid Game, um, is that they are wholly the vision of a writer. Um, not that like I, I do not ascribe to a tour theory, um, but I think that you have to have a strong vision at the head of your production, right? That's the showrunner's job. That's the show creator's job. Everyone else is there to help that person see their vision on the screen. Um, and I think that's what those shows do. And I think that's what people respond to. Um, even, I mean, this is even true of reality TV. You know, like you look at the success of Survivor and yes, at first it was the novelty of it, but that was 20 years ago. But that is Jeff Probst's show. Um, it is the show that he wants to make and we all get to enjoy that vision, right? It's just it's just happenstance that we all respond to it and that he's a talented guy. And, you know, as are the creators of these other great shows, Russian Doll and Better Call Saul. Yeah, I think that's where we're at. And I think the key is to, is for these streamers and these networks to let people or help people make the show that they want to make, right? It's to trust the creators. And I think we had a really great run of that for a while that I think we took for granted. Um, I think the heyday of the celebrity showrunner has passed, uh, maybe, sadly, for this, this podcast. Um, but, if, but the creators are out there. And I think if the buyers can trust the creator's vision and you know not make us prove ourselves doing a ton of work beforehand they're going to see something like whether whether they respond to a pitch or a script or something but like development shouldn't take years and years because the, you're creating you're you're making a show for a target that doesn't exist people are going to come to you i don't know 
uh, it's something I've been thinking about. It's something I've been, um, I really believe in, uh, especially these past few years that like you, you just got to write the thing that you love. You got to write the thing that you want to see. Um, and that's what I've been doing. And I hope that's what you've been doing. And for sure, that is what the folks I've been talking to have been doing. Um, so hopefully you find inspiration in these conversations as I have. And hopefully you get out there and write your stuff too. Do it. Find me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Please continue to leave reviews for this podcast on iTunes and elsewhere. It's really helpful to us so we can keep it going. Um, we'll have lots more stuff to talk about in the future, but find me on Twitter again. And, and like, let's talk about the business and let's talk about TV and tell me what you're enjoying and tell me who you want to hear on this program. I always love to know what you're watching. Thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you all so much for being here. This is a dream team. Um, I'm such a fan of all of you. Uh, as humans and as creators, uh, what I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourselves on your microphone so the listener knows what you sound like. Tell us who you are and where they may have seen your name on their screen in the past. Okay, my name is Jason Kadams. Hi, great to be here. Recently, I've done a show called As We See It for Amazon, which I'm uh, really excited about um, and um, came out uh, recently. And I've done a bunch of other shows, um, Friday Night Lights and, and, and Parenthood and, and others. Um, I'm Liz Hanna. I uh, most recently did the limited series, The Girl from Plainville on Hulu with Patrick McManus, who is also here. And previous to that, I wrote a movie called The Post and I did season two of Mindhunter. And I also did, uh, I was an executive producer and writer on The Dropout, which is also on Hulu right now. So, so sorry that there's two of me. My name is Patrick McManus. I want to just start really quickly by saying thank you for telling me that I can curse because being from New Jersey, uh, fucks are sort of like oxygen. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that. Um, the, actually, the truth is that the place that you would most recognize me is my one offline on the Scrubs as an actor. No one recognizes me from any TV shows I've written or created, but they always are like, you were in Scrubs, weren't you? Uh, what was the line? Seriously. Uh, any, there's actually two lines. The first was, anybody want to help me move out? And the other line was, anybody want to help me move in? And I swear to God, that is, everyone has seen that and nothing else. You've uh, still got it. But per, per, thank you, I appreciate it. I don't know why I don't go back to acting. Uh, but my, uh, but in relate to this, I did, uh, I did Marco Polo first. Uh, and then I worked on a show I, uh, called happy with Grant Morrison and Brian Taylor. Uh, and then I went on to do Dr. Death. And as Liz said, uh, we, she was plagued with me on the girl from Plainville. And Tony. Um, I make a show called the great. And before I guess so write movies as well, uh, the favorite and Cruella and other things. These, these are you're you're being very humble. These are yes, very. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all impressed. I'm that... Australian, and we're not allowed to talk about ourselves. That's I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna lie. I I didn't know Tony was gonna be here, and I saw him, and I was like, oh shit, Tony's here. <laughs> no offense, Jason. I'm very big fan of your work as well. I, I swear. Um, I want to talk about. I want to start by talking about 
the current projects that you all have. Um, I want to talk about how you all got these shows off the ground, uh, including As We See It and the second season of The Great. Uh, let's start with The Great. And Tony, did you have to sell a second season to Hulu? Did you have to tell them, like, this is what to expect? Did you have to repitch what this show would be? Not really. I mean, I think the first season was a bit like proof of concept and they were always great about, I think when I sold it initially, they had the pilot, but they were always like, what is it? Is it funny or is it dramatic? Or So that I think when we made the pilot, that for them was like, it's this. Um, so no, they were pretty great about, I mean, they're always very supportive and they're very, what do you want it to be as much as anything? So um so thanks thankfully they give a they give a lot of faith to us to make it the way we see it and i guess after the first season they kind of went oh okay we know we get what you're doing and it seems to be good so oh, that's good. um we'll let you keep doing it it does feel like you're making the show that you want to make i wonder what kind of what kind of notes do you get what kind of feedback do you get that that changes it and and hopefully makes it better yeah no i think what's good about um them and MRC who are the studio is they don't they don't over notice ever and if they have an issue it's more it's very conversational about um and they and they're very good at you know they're very like it's your show what do you want it to be but they'll also go well you what you want it to be seems stupid um no <laughs> 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 and so often it's like, I'm pretty sure I'm right. And they're like, you're pretty sure we're wrong. You're wrong. Um, so we've had a, we've only had one or maybe one of those. Um, but generally their notes are usually pretty good. They're so, they're very smart. So, um, and I don't mind notes if they're, I don't like a lot of notes, who does? But, you know, I think if you get one or two notes that you know improves the script, then you're grateful rather than, um, annoyed that you got no i'm not no i'm never annoyed i get notes I'm, and they they're, they're always smart notes they really understand what i'm trying to do mm-hmm. so it's usually just pushing me to kind of mm-hmm. interrogate what i'm doing a little harder than i have because i'm naturally lazy so <laughs> and that's the best kind of note right they're trying to bring yeah. out something that you're trying to do already i think so i think so yeah um jason i am at uh, tony touched on this idea of People asking, is this a comedy? Is this a drama? I imagine this is a question you get hit with a lot. Right. And I do not know the answer to that about the show. But I uh, it's interestingly when I when I pitched the show to Amazon, they didn't know either. And so both the comedy and the drama execs were there in the in the meeting because they didn't know they 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 didn't know either. And um you know, I um, wow. It ended up that the comedy team was the team that, you know, became our execs, um, and um, and I think that really largely was because it was a half-hour format more than it was more of a comedic show than a drama. But um, you know, it was that was um, you know um, that was that the tone of the show was always to me had to be um i think i had a great sense of responsibility in telling the story you know like i have a son who's on the spectrum who's exactly the age of the characters in the show and if i was going to tell the show about these characters i didn't want to fuck it up like i didn't want it to be do a bad version of it and i certainly didn't want to do a version of it that 
in any way seem to, um, um, you know, you know, um, minimalize these characters or make them feel less than, you know, um, you know, to make it just, you know, not let them have them be three-dimensional. But also being around my son and other people with autism for many years, I knew how much, you know, humor organically comes out of, um, 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 you know, out of that, mainly in that there's a lack of a, the, the kind of a lack of filter that most of us have. Um, and, um, and so I thought that that was what I could sort of lean into in terms of, um, you know, um, mining comedy from the, the story. Um, um, you know, just let them be exactly who they are and say exactly what they feel. And that's actually kind of freeing and sometimes funny. Um, but ultimately, I mean, the truth is, I actually don't think the show is a comedy. I actually really believe the show <clears throat> is a drama because I think that <laughs> mainly because there, there are so many shows way funnier than it. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I think what I think what makes this show, you know, um, um, special to me is that, um, you know, we feel we really feel the emotional of these people in, in a way that is, is, is so specific and unique and, and, and that's to me what makes it, um, uh, makes it a drama. Yeah, I think, and, and just to pick up on something, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about, like, they don't make a lot of shows like this anymore. Uh, and I wonder if it was, was it a hard sell to convince a buyer, like, a show about people and feelings is still valid? Yeah, very hard to pitch the show because you're just basically like, oh, there's going to be three people, their roommates, not really friends, and they go through their lives and nothing really yeah. much happens. <laughs> I felt I was so passionate um, and even emotional talking about these people in the pitch that hopefully that came through. Mm -hmm. But it is hard. And there were some places that didn't even, you know, wouldn't even like, um, you know, didn't want to hear a pitch. You know, I mean, pitch everywhere. There were some places that would be like, well, is definitely not we're definitely not going to do this so we don't want to we don't be in the position of having to say no to you in the room so we're going to say no to you before you get into the room thank you i think a kindness i suppose um, and uh, um and but we brought it to you know like we did bring it to a few places and um i i you know when i when I, we we're leaving the room at the Amazon pitch, Vernon Sanders um, um, said to me, Jason, whether or not we do the show with you, I'm so glad you found the show to do. And when he said that, I was like, okay, this is definitely the place to do it because exactly what you said, Ben, it's so hard to make these shows. It's so hard to get a show like this, you know, um, you know, find a home for it. And um, that I, you really feel like you need somebody in the trenches with you who is as passionate about it as, as you are. Yeah, well, and and it seemed to work, and and uh, folks should check out that first season if they haven't yet, um, and hopefully we'll get more. Uh, Patrick and Liz, let's talk about the girl from Plainville, and how did you get this story on the air? Uh, I feel like there's a bit of a there's a bit of a softball to this is a true crime story, but it's 
so much more than that, right? Actually, I, I related a lot to what Jason was saying, um, particularly about pitching it. And then I think everyone that we were going to pitch it to was anticipating we would come in like, here's the true crime story about Michelle Carter and have, you know, I, I, for lack of, of education, not for, for anything else, um, lack of education in the story, I think we're expecting like a salacious pitch, you know, or like, ooh, here's like the sexy way you tell this. And Patrick and I were like, so we're going to talk a lot about feelings and we're going to talk a lot about not talking about feelings. People are going to talk and not talk. Like that was, you know, I think we just connected on the way to tell the show was um, I think much more about the people and that this is something that happened to them um, rather than telling the story about what happened to them, if that makes sense. And going to what you were saying, Jason, I had a lot of personal connection to a lot of the things that were being talked about in this and in terms of people in my life dealing with suicidal ideations, depression, mental health in general. And um, I felt extremely passionate to tell that story with empathy and, and accuracy in that. I don't, I don't think there's a way to tell it accurately for everyone's experience because, but that was kind of the goal was to show that there's three dimensionality and, and um, that everybody's mental health journey is unique and that it's not uh, just black and white for everyone. And so that was a real challenge, you know, I think in not only selling it, but in making it and, and, um, you know, going through the entire process, we didn't have a pilot. So there was a constant conversation of like, what is this show and what are you telling and, and what is sort of the goal of it? Um, and we had great partners who made us ask those questions, but in the selling of it. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had some pitches where people would start the pitch, which were like, oh my God, I hate her. She's such a villain. And we were like, oh, well, the next 45 minutes are going to be really awkward for you. And I'm <laughs> so sorry. Um, not that that is necessarily a wrong interpretation of however you want to have an opinion about her, but that that was just not how we were coming. We were not coming with an opinion um, of, of, of vil villainizing anyone in the story. And so um, there were definitely a couple of awkward pitches where we would get to the point that we would say like, and so there's no villains and there's no heroes and you could see the exec's eyes glaze over and like recount the story they had just told 10 minutes ago <laughs> and and so that was a challenge but we ended up at at the right place so it was good uh and tell me a little bit about how you two work together terribly it was awful <laughs> i just I'm, I'm it's breaking news it was a terrible relationship <laughs> awful uh, horrible yeah yeah what a scoop. absolutely horrible this is the first time we've spoken in just months <laughs> Can't stand each other. <laughs> no, it was. Look, it's. I, I, I. We talk about this often, right? Which is that I do. I've never written with a partner, uh, which is, you know, probably why my stuff is typically mediocre. Uh, and uh, and I don't think that Liz has as well. And so it, that's a dangerous, potentially dangerous situation. Uh, and I will say how? that how could, yeah. how could that be dangerous? <laughs> I mean, yeah. no writer, no writer out there could possibly understand what I'm putting down <laughs> in any way, shape or form. And honestly, I mean it, I, I, at least from my perspective, uh, the very first coffee that she and I had together, um, I was working on Dr. Death at the time and I was in the writer's room on death and I broke away to go to this meeting and look, I'm not going to lie. I was driving over there going, I don't know. 
I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to go in with a positive attitude and, and see how it goes. And the truth of the matter is, is that we really did sort of hit it off, not just on a story level, right? Which, which again, from the very beginning, we were aligned on that front um, in terms of not sensationalizing, in terms of coming to, to it from a place of empathy and in terms of trying to dig deeper than what the headlines had, right? That all we were aligned on. The harder part sometimes is the pr procedural part, the process part. And when we started to lay out what our process was, um, which I, I laughed when Tony was saying it's, you know, I'm just lazy. I'm like, no, you're a writer. That's, we just, we're, we're fundamentally lazy at the end of the day. And it turns out our two sort of lazy processes worked very well together. Um, we, we came at it from the exact same perspective. So from my point of view, I am nothing but extraordinarily grateful for the fact that I had the opportunity to work with Liz and, and she elevated not just the material, but me every single day. And she continues to. Ugh. I don't know how to really say anything. <laughs> no, now I just I just forced you into a corner where you have to compliment me. That was I'm all sorry, we, we don't have time. Sorry, um, you're breaking up. Breaking up. Sorry, uh, I thought no, we had I, more time. I apologize. I, no, I please. The thing I will add to this is that like look, as as showrunners, ultimately your job is to make a decision. Like it's it doesn't actually matter if it's the right decision or the wrong decision. You right. just have to make a choice because if you don't nothing else can happen. And, and when you're a writer and you're working with a partner, you're doing that on a constant basis of where are we going with this and da, 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 da. But the, the creating and running something with someone else is inviting somebody else into like an interior part of your brain that I actually don't think is even reflected on the page. It's an interpretation of what's reflected on the page and then how to also communicate that and convey that to the 400 people that you talk to on a daily basis. So I think what was interesting is that as much as we talked about process before at that first coffee and truthfully, like I, I was, I was laughing because I did not go into that meeting in the car ride being like, I don't know, I'll come with a positive attitude. I came and was like, I don't know who this guy is and I'm not doing the show. And, um, I like, I knew who he was, but I was like, I don't know you. I don't want to work with like a, a partner. And then we sat down and I think threw some pretty big fastballs at each other of how we like to work. And both of us were like, oh yeah, me too. And then through that process, through the room, through the writing the pilot, then the selling in the room and then the running it, I think that is where you really sort of organically find like your voices as showrunners together and the balance of how that works. I mean, we had a very difficult production. We were shooting in Savannah and luckily enough, we got to bridge both Delta and Omicron and we were shooting it for Boston. Like there was just, it was, it was, a, there was a lot going on um, and being able to compartmentalize and sort of say like, this is your half of the brain. This is your half hmm. of the brain and keep sanity together, I think was, was a real gift. And also it's, it's a real process. Like you have to constantly be talking to each other and communicating about how somebody wrote something on a page and how you've interpreted it and how you're selling it in a tone meeting to somebody and making sure you're always. So I, I think that's actually for me where the cohesion was most impressive was when we would be in tone meetings and have not talked about it and be like, yeah, same. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, um, before getting onto some, some more broad topics, uh, I want to talk about a sort of... Um, Technical writing question, something I've been thinking about, which is, uh, 
how much story fits into my allotted time or how much allotted time do I need for the story I want to tell? And I was struck by this watching the second season of The Great and thinking both how quickly Catherine gets to throw her coup and where another show might have dragged that on for years and years, seasons and seasons, uh, we get her there pretty quickly and the fallout from it leads to more story and and more and more interesting character stuff. So, Tony, let's start with you on this and talk about doling out story. Um, because I, I, and I read this interview where you were saying you had this massive story that you wanted to tell. It couldn't have been just a movie. It couldn't have been just a play. You needed years to tell this. Yeah, I think so. I think because it was that. It was someone taking over country and it's got a whole political epic sweep. Um, and I, I think... I think I don't like doling out story in a way. I think I'm always like, tell it as fast as we can fucking tell it <laughs> um, in a way because I don't, um, I think even doing season three, we I kind of had a rough idea of the first seven and then I think a few weeks into the room I went, okay, and they're now the first three. So it, I think it's just like how fast can you tell it as long as you're, um, and I think it's to do with plot and character. I don't really, like in some ways, I don't care what the plot is um, to do some degree. Yeah. I, I care what the characters are doing and I want a, I want a great show and I want to energize. I like energy and I like speed in storytelling and I like, but it's all driven by how much does Alan Nick need, you know, Peter and Catherine, how much do they need? And so it's sort of that really that, that drives it. I, ne I never really think, have I got enough? Cause I just um, feel like I've been in enough shows and movies that I'm like, you'll, you'll find enough. You know, I don't, I don't know how you run out if you've got good characters. I just don't know how you run out. So, yeah. um, I mean, I might find, <laughs> I might find out this year, um, <laughs> but, but I think that's, that's sort of my philosophy is like, just keep telling it and tell it fast. And, and always be going, is it character? Or are you just throwing plot in for plot's sake? In which case, stop right. doing that. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess I just look at it that way. It's like, what does Elle need to tell the story of her arc and, and, and then tell it as fast as humanly possible in a way? Do you find, and I would ask this of uh, Liz and Patrick too, because you're telling a story based on true events, do you find yourself beholden to certain tentpole events? Do you feel like you have to be devoted to those? Yeah, I mean, I think for for sorry, I, was, I think for Plainville, we felt like there were some very specific things we knew we had to tell the story, and then there were things that I think nobody knew that had happened um, or had been ex had had been expressed in in detail um that we felt like clarified or colored the story in in, in a way that gave us an, a different perspective so we felt those were important mm. but I also completely agree with Tony what Tony's saying it's just like you know I, my dream scenario is putting two people in a room and having them talk for 17 minutes like that sounds great to me which I'm so sorry for every buyer who's listening <laughs> to this although they stopped once the we started talking shit about pitching so um <laughs> but like I <laughs> I, I think I just think you need characters that people care about and have empathy for 
And hopefully then those guideposts feel organic and you're not just like, and then here's this episode where you knew this had to happen. You know, it feels like it's happening for a reason. Well, let's talk about um, characters for a minute because I think that's a great point. You, you, we heard for years about making likable characters and then we got to say, okay, just compelling characters. Uh, And I I am glad that's where we're at. Um, Jason, let's talk about um, as we see it. And like, there's a hurdle to getting us to empathize with these characters. Um, How do you overcome that hurdle? How do you approach these characters so that, you know, my mom can get on board? Right. Well, I think that for, with, you know, with this story, it was really important that we were, you know, sort of approached it um, authentically and we, you know, and we were not afraid to go through, you know, because I think the show is actually not a hard show for your mom to watch. You know, I think it's, it's a very, it's a delightful show. I mean, it really is. And there's humor and whatever, a lot of humor, but it's also um, going to um, have some upsetting real moments. Like you've watched these characters, um, you know, uh, break down, you watch them um, shoot themselves in the foot, not be able, you know, and, 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 but that was like the, you know, the approach to it was to say, we have to, you know, we have to like, um, you know, approaches in a way that's, that's, that feels real. And there's such a, um, you know, there's, you know, there's such a temptation sometimes to make things a little sweeter um, than they are. And I've definitely, you know, um, dealt with that on, you know, in, on other trying to find the balance. Um, um, and, um, you know, in this case, it was really important to us that we were, you know, stayed, um, um, let these characters um, show all sides of them. And, um, and, and sometimes that can be frustrating, right? For the, you know, um, if the audience says, well, why don't you just do that? Or it's not that right. big of a deal. It's not as big a deal as you're making it into. But that is actually the story, you know, that we're telling. And the way that I sort of approach it in terms of, you know, breaking down um, a season, when you ask about story and ask about how much story you tell, like, um, I've never been lucky enough to have a show that had story. You know, there is no story. It's just all character. It's just all character. So the way that I start is always um, the their, their arcs that, you know, you go through all of your characters and you say, well, look, what is their story for the season? What's going to happen? Where are they going to get to by the end of the season? Um, um, and start with that. Don't break down beats or whatever, whatever. Just like, what are we, what is this story about for this person? And go completely by our characters. Like what, where are they getting to from, you know, uh, how, you know, um, by the end and what are the sort of tent poles or what are the moments and what are the, the sort of, uh, you know, um, that, 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 that get them there. And, and, you know, I think when you, uh, you know, for me that it just like, then be, then it sort of like, it presents itself, you know, you're never mm-hmm. in a way deciding like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? You know, you know, um, you're never sort of having to decide story things. Cause it's sort of almost, it's like they, the, where the what the characters are at that point sort of just um 
inform yeah you know what i mean what 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 the scenes are and what you know yeah um i would imagine some you know approaching it that way which really is like it's this sort of a very natural way to approach it when you've been doing this for a while um how can we how can we turn this into advice for the new writer um yeah uh, as far as the new writer <laughs> yeah as far as approaching plot and character yeah well i mean i think there's a couple of things because i think that one of the things is as you know i often think as i'm writing about sydney editing room you know mm -hmm. because when you're in the editing room and you watch a cut it's like um, that's like, you know, that's like the ultimate moment about whether all the stuff that you try to convince yourself was going to work is going to work. And so one of the things that I found in the editing room through many, 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 many episodes of doing this, many shows, is that you need to get the engine running right away. If you can get one thing, one story point going that hooks your audience from the beginning, you can then do anything. You can slow things down. You can do nuance. You can do everything, but you have to like hook the audience, you know, um, um, you know, immediately. And I, when I say hook it, I, I will hook the audience. I'm not talking I'm with an action. See, I'm talking about with, you know, character with something that you're like, oh my God, I'm leaning in what's going to happen next to this person. And if you get that right away, you can then, um, you know, slow it down and do and play all the, you know, the sort of nuance beats, which really enrich your story. So that I mean, one thing I would say is, 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 you know, is that and then the only the other thing I would say um, is that to never when you're writing, you know, never, you know, if to think a lot about the other characters in the scene, not the character that it's about, you know, when you're writing a scene or breaking a story, Think about what all everybody else, even if they're not, if they're regulars on the show, even if they don't have like another scene in the show, like think about them and don't have them say stuff just because you want them to say it so your character can say what they want to say. Like that to me is like the, it's such a key and it's, it sounds so simple, but I have to teach myself that every time, everything that I write, you know, don't just let somebody say something. So you can get, so it works for you. It works out for you as a writer, you know, make it hard on yourself by making it feel very, what they do, like feel real. Cause you know, then you're, you know, but so you want to also be able to say when you're facing these actors and they ask, what am I doing here? You want to have a, you want to have a good answer for them because they're smart and you have a good answer. You're fucked, you know, like, you know, so you want to really think it through as much, you know, ahead of time and, 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 um, and, and, and I mean, those are the things that I think like, like in terms of like what I could think in terms of practical advice from the, from sort of being in the trenches, like those are the things that I would, that I, that I would say. Those, that's great advice. <laughs> Who else wants to jump in here and, and tag on to that? I think I, I, I think if I had anything, I don't, I think it, what Jason said, all of that is like the best advice. Cause I think the character thing is, is, is just so important to, and the arc thing over a season is exactly the same. It's like, what's the arc and then we'll find the story to fulfill that arc. Mm -hmm. 
But I do think as well, I sometimes notice people judging character, like younger I judge characters. And I think that that is like a death to a character because it's sort of like, you're not, you've got to find what's good about everyone and where, why they're coming from a place that makes sense to them. And I think sometimes when I, the thing I've probably noticed a bit in writers' rooms or whatever is people, especially in a comedy or something where you've got outrageous characters, it's like, it's like they've got to, you've got to believe they believe they're coming from a good place so that you feel like they're in a scene that has, you can't have stakes on someone you don't believe they're, they believe their thing or you've already judged them. You can't have a scene that's surprising if you've already judged them um, as whatever. So I think that for me is an important thing when I write is like, why is everyone right, you know, <laughs> or yeah. thinks they're right, you know? I th And I think the greatest example of that, I would send people to watch The Great and to watch yeah. uh, Peter because this yeah. is a character <laughs> who thinks he's totally absolutely doing the right thing every time and he is absolutely doing the wrong thing every time <laughs> yeah i think that's probably the one one of the struggles i've had in the writer's room is that getting everyone to not judge him yeah and to, you can't i was like you you can't write him if you judge him we can't make mm. you can't make story for him if you judge him you know because mm. you've got to understand where he's coming from and know that he thinks he's doing the right thing every time you know so yeah, yeah. Uh, and this sort of gets back to, uh, Liz, what you were saying about, you know, heroes and villains in a story. And let's talk about that in regard to Plainville. And like, you you clearly didn't judge any of these characters. We're living their lives with them. But how do you get yourselves and your room to approach that? How does that start to create story um, and serve the story you want to tell also? But also, where are you getting conflict? <laughs> We had I plenty think, of conflict, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had conflict. Not in the room, I, Patrick. Oh, <laughs> on the oh, screen. I keep missing the points of these questions. I'm sorry. Everybody's going to think we hate each other, and it's just really rude. Um, I I agree with everything that Jason and Tony said, and and building off of what Tony was saying is, we our our only sort of directive was to have empathy for all the characters. Um, that was to our writers was that. You, you could, you know, I, I think Patrick and I, I know came into this without um, any intention of being able to understand, for an audience to watch this and then finish the series finale and walk away and be like, I understand everything. Like we knew that was never going to happen and that was not our intention. We actually felt the opposite. We wanted people to walk away and frankly be more confused than, than what anything, because that's life. You, you don't know how this happens and there's no way for us to have any answers for any of these things. And so mm -hmm. that was really our kind of directive in the room was don't try to answer anything. Don't try to make up a reason for something happening. Um, find the empathy with people that you don't think you will have empathy for, which is a challenge sometimes. I think particularly when you're dealing with, with, I wouldn't say villains, but villainous characters or, or, or characters that possess villainous traits. Um, and also when you're dealing with a story that you just want to have the why you want, you want to have the answer to why. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it's that for us in the room was sort of just a constant of like, don't try and wrap this up with a bow or tie this up with a bow and, and stop, you know, and it was a reminder to ourselves often of like, stop again, judging or, or, and try and have empathy and try and find out, well, if somebody said this terrible thing, let's look into why that they might have, where the, the place they came from of saying that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think in in that way, your show and really all of these shows defy conventional TV uh, and certainly conventional television storytelling, um, which makes me wonder. And here's you know the broad question, uh, and I would ask you all to talk to each other about this because I don't know the answer. Is there is there room on our TVs for these kinds of shows? I mean, look, they're getting made. You all have these shows on the air, but they are harder and harder to sell uh, in the current landscape. And television has undergone an enormous shift in the past five years or so, uh, where the kinds, you know, parenthood would have a lot of trouble getting on the air. Uh, so the first question is like, can we make more of these? and the second question is, how can we make more of these? How can we get these through uh, the system? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I'll jump in on this one just because I'll just say that I, before I got my first, it took me 16 years to get my first show on the air. Um, and for the preceding 16 years, I was either learning from my mentors how to run rooms and run shows, or I was selling. And I, I joke, but it's not really a joke. I, if, I, if I weren't a writer, I'd be an excellent used car salesman. I, I could sell you a lemon and you wouldn't know it until much later. Uh, and so what I've noticed <laughs> in the last, yeah, yeah, because they, they buy it and then they're like, can you write that? And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I'm just joking. Um, but, you know, for the preceding 16 years, you know, I've watched as the landscape continues to evolve and change and it's cyclical and what people's wants and needs are continue to, to come round and round and round in circles. And... You know, I'm in, I'm personally emboldened by the fact that there is so much TV that there should be enough room for it. But I'm also it's also sort of has diminishing returns too. like there's just there also is too much TV on the air. And, um, you know, I'm not going to ever speak ill of any place or any person. But I, I you know, I do think that people are beginning to realize that that people do want quality. Like there's plenty of people out there that, that, that do just want to consume and they're locusts for entertainment. But there are a lot of people out there who want quality and they're looking for it desperately right now. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'll just speak personally. I'll say that, you know, Girl from Plainville uh, and Dr. Death, I'm sort of segueing out of, of the world of, of true crime now. And, and listening to what Jason was saying earlier um, about his show, it, it emboldens me because the next show that I'm taking out uh, in the next month or so is genuinely a bunch of people sitting around talking in an RV dri driving all over the country. That's the story. And, uh, and that's not really story by the way. So, you know, but do I fundamentally believe, and they're, by the way, and they're not cooking math. So they're in an <laughs> RV and they're not cooking math. Uh, you know, that thing you love from breaking bad, that, that, all it's the, the RV, right? Love, yeah. It's all of the stuff you didn't like is, is my show and all. Yeah. Um, but I do, like, I fundamentally believe that if, if it's, if it's good and to Jason's point earlier, if you can find those executives that mm -hmm. latch into it and that understand what you're trying to do and look, it's never going to be everybody, right? Like a saying that I say to writers and to myself all the time is that if there's one of me, there's at least like one or two million of me, right? And I'm the kind of writer that is writing for the one or two million. I'm never going to be the kind of writer that's writing for 20, 30, 40 million. And by the way, right there, I just ruined my next overall deal. I'm never, I'm not getting it. So, um, but, yeah. but I would like, love for one or two million people to watch anything I wrote. That sounds great. Liz, I, Liz, I, I, look, I think you're doing just fine. I think, I think you're okay. <laughs> Woo, I was like, okay. 
couple hundred thousand is like wonderful right now. Um, I, I agree with what Patrick was saying. You know, I think it's also, there's a number of us on this podcast who've also done features and, and it's a conversation in the feature world too, which is like, you know, I, I, this is not, not, Lord knows I've consumed every Marvel movie. I've watched them in the correct timeline. I've watched them not in the correct <laughs> timeline. I will consume it however they want me to. Um, but like we comic books and IP and all of these things that I think have flushed the market in the last 20 years, is that eradicating anything else? Is that eradicating the want or desire of original things? And 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 I don't think it does, but I think it may go after those as right except for myself and saying like, I really don't like hearing no, as Patrick will say, I really don't like get, like being told that something that I've put my entire heart into is not going to work. And, it, and so setting yourself up for something that does not seem like there's a marketplace for it and going out and doing something hard that way is really scary. Um, having said that, that's where the best things come from. Everything, everywhere, all at once is like, where does that come from? And it sort of is taking this IP Marvel superhero world and flipping on its head into this original way. So I think it's been happening in features and in TV. And then, and the other thing I'll say is that I'll totally agree with Patrick. Quality over quantity is the most important thing. And I don't care where you're selling. I don't care who you're selling to. I don't care if four people watch it. It's if you are proud of what you have made, and you are um, proud of the people you have worked with, then I think there's absolute value in that. And I think people are seeing that. And I think that that it is cyclical, as Patrick said, that we will always find these times where everybody has to have a show on the air. Everybody has to be seen. Everything has to, everything has to be seen. Everything has to be consumed. There's just too much of that now, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I know we're getting to later of like what we're watching now, but something I, I recently watched that I can't believe is popular because of how like, intellectual and I don't mean like I mean it is smart but I mean like very specifically intellectual the show is is fascinating to me and so that that I I don't know I don't know Tony and Jason say something smart thank you <laughs> please say something smart um I won't say something smart I'll say I don't know either I think I'm a delusional optimist in the sense that I just keep and in a kind of selfish way, I'm like, I just hope someone will let me keep writing something I want to mm -hmm. write. And I think to Patrick's point, I think there is, I, there's what's good about the TV landscape. And even though it's, there's a lot of stuff you're like, really? Um, <laughs> there, is a, there, is a, there is a core audience for something good. I just believe that. And I think, um, and it may not be a massive audience, but I think there is a core audience that clearly want shows that are good and are interesting and surprise them and are character driven. And I do think there are executives and networks that, that, that want that too. And yes, it's smaller than the other thing, I guess, but I do think, um, I just, I think I just focus on that bit and go, it's all going to be good. It's all going to work out. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jason, do you want to give us the last word on this topic? To add about it, except I guess I feel like, you know, what, you know, choice, you know, do we have, but pursue the things that we're passionate about, whether or not there, there's a, you know, there's, there's an audience, a huge audience or a small audience for it. You go with what you believe in. It's like, if there's one thing I've learned is that the more passionate you are about 
what you're doing, the more personal it is to you, um, the better you, that writing is going to be and the more chance it has of success. And so you can't be like chasing like a trend. You can't be chasing, oh, there's a show like that. Well, there's a show like that. They did the show like that. You <laughs> need to bring your own voice, your own individual soul to it. And um, that's what I have sort of learned over time and in, in doing it, you know, just, you know, um, and, 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 and that's what you need to do. And that's going to, you know, and, and, and again, you know, we're, we're doing this, not, I, I don't think most of us are do, you know, you choose being a writer as a choice. It's, it's like, it would be a bad choice. You know, you're doing it because you're compelled to do it. You're doing it because you have to do it in a way. And so if you have to do it, then you've already made the noble choice, go for it. And, 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 and write from your heart. And, and, and um, I think, you know, that's the way most good things come. Absolutely. Can I just, can I, may I just jump on that for one quick second, because no one's going to believe me either on this panel or out there, but when we were going around talking about advice for young writers, that was what I was going to say. And I didn't get a chance to wait. So I, I'm, I'm not going to expound upon it. I just want every writer that is listening <laughs> to know that they should take that advice and take it absolutely a hundred percent to heart, especially yeah. obviously the passion is important, but especially the part of don't chase trends. I, I say it all the time, which is that every time you hear someone say, we want our squid game, we want our Queen's Gambit, we want our X, Y, and Z. The reason X, Y, and Z were all successful was that they were their own thing. And you will never find in the history, yeah. the annals of television, you will never find an example of an also ran that became culturally and commercially significant. So please know that you've got to just follow your own path. Everything Jason said, I, I'm so passionate about everything he just said, because that is yeah. my entire point of view on life and on writing. Yeah, no, there is no better advice. But let me ask you this, and, and we do need to start to wrap up, but like, I think we all understand that, right? You can't chase those trends. And yet these companies are saying, I want our, our next squid game. I want our next uh, whatever. How come they don't know that these things are not replicable? <laughs> well, I don't know that it's they don't know it, but I think it's going back to fear. I mean, like, look, I, I think what Tony said is also, I, I just want somebody to pay me to continue to do my job. Like, that's what I'd really like sure. that at a very base level. I, I really love my job and like would like to continue doing it and would like to continue doing it with things <laughs> that I love and I'm passionate yeah. about and with people that I love and I'm passionate about. Um, it, it's There's a lot of people who have to say yes for me to do that. And there's also, ultimately, when you're talking about a film or television, there's a lot of money on the line and there are a lot of jobs on the line. And ultimately, I am not the person who has to necessarily answer for that. It's the person who said yes to me and my idea. Mm -hmm. And that is really, I, I, I'm, I'm not dismissive. That is a lot of, I'm also not just kissing buyer's asses now. I, I really do respect that, like, that is a lot of weight that you have to take and, and when we also look at that these, every single one of the companies we're talking about is owned by a major corporation that has shareholders, that has a board that has to answer to it, that's a lot. So we can have discussions about whether or not we think that's right or wrong or the state of television and business, but it just is, it just is the way that it is. So I, I think that, that there is, uh, as in any industry, it is always safer to operate from a place of success and knowing than a place of unknowing and fear. It just is. So it's finding the right people who are willing to be afraid with you and to <laughs> jump in.
Yeah, and I think I, I think that's a great point. And and getting back to what Jason said and and what Patrick said, like the way to push through is to write that thing that you are passionate about. The way to push through is to write that thing that only you can write. Um, and I'll be asking all of you who those uh, executives and buyers are who uh, <laughs> are willing are willing to take those chances. By name. Um, <laughs> by name. We will end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Uh, what are you talking about with your friends, your room, your loved one? Um, Tony, what are you watching these days? Well, look, I was trying to find a clever, sophisticated answer, but I've been watching with my six-year-old Snoopy cartoons and they're so fucking funny and they're so sweet and they're so perfectly formed gags that him and I have been having a great time and I felt like I should show the writer's room because they're just so lovely and great um so that's actually what I've been watching (laughs) how did the how did the writer's room take it well I haven't shown them yet because I haven't had the courage to have them laugh at me and go I thought you were good at your job Tony do do a four-hour lunch have some beers they'll love it there you go I I should have followed up with the post-episode break lunch and then exactly training exactly yeah it's a good recommendation though like that comedy is unique and it, it's it's not around anymore. No, um, no, it's true. Patrick, what are you watching? First of all, I want to say this is a true story. I went on vacation with my family for spring break. And one night, the last night on vacation, we huddled in the bed and watched on my uh, computer, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, because <laughs> yeah. we're moving to Paris next year. And that was the closest that I could get to showing them what Paris is like. Um, <laughs> and there is there is really nothing. I'm playing my small, nothing. tiny violin for them as they discover <laughs> what it's like to live in yeah. Paris in real life. Yeah. But yeah. The, but like there's nothing better than the moment when Charlie Brown is trying to buy a loaf of bread and he keeps breaking the loaf of bread, walking through the door or the car uh, <laughs> the hood slams down on his bread. It's 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 great comedy. Uh, I, I wish that I had given that answer because that's a great answer. I'm I'm only watching one thing right now. I don't I, I genuinely don't watch a lot of TV. Um, uh, I am watching Atlanta and I think it's one of the finest shows that's ever been and made in the history of anything I, I it's an obvious answer but it's it is so ingenious. doesn't mean it's wrong every, yeah yeah on every single level and it's it's aspirational as a writer to tr- i'll never get there but it's absolutely aspirational yeah, watching for sure it's very really inspiring uh yeah. jason what are you watching um i think the the last thing that really captured my heart that i watched was um somebody somewhere Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, um, it's been coming up a lot on the podcast lately. And I think uh, writers love oh, it. Oh, has for, it been? Yeah, I, I think writers love it for a lot of good reasons it's that so writers beautiful. would love it. But everybody loves the show who seeks it out and watches it. Yeah, you just have to find it, I guess. But it's, I, I think it's such a beautiful show. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, and Liz, what are you watching? Um, I'm watching, I just finished, um, I have a, well, I have a 10 week old child. So I also am like randomly consuming things. So I don't know. I've, I watched like an episode of cheers four (laughs) nights ago at three o'clock in the morning. Um, which also, I mean, like go watch it, go watch cheers everybody. It's just, it's such an incredible show and so special. Mm. Um, 
all shows sort of like comedies of that era, I just think are so special and we don't talk about them that much anymore. And I, so I just think that's remarkable. Um, I just watched Severance, which is, um, I think going to a lot of what we were talking about, like Dan Erickson wrote this as a feature years and years ago and like tried to get it made and tried to get it made. And, and now it's a, a show. So I think there's a lot of value in writing what you're passionate about, but I also, it's, it's like such a niche show that I'm so happy that so many people are watching it. That's mm -hmm. what I was talking about before. Like it is, tr it is truly an intellectual show. Like it's talking about your brain. It's talking about how your brain works and all of these things, but it's making it, it's grounded in emotion. It's a sci-fi genre show that ultimately anything that has to do with sci-fi only matters because of how it's emotionally um, dealing with the characters and, and how their lives are, are, are impacted by it. So I, if you haven't watched it, I couldn't recommend it more. I just think it's, it's really interesting. And there's also actors on there that I haven't seen do something like that in a mm -hmm. while, or, or like John Turturro was incredible. Adam Scott is amazing. I mean, walk in praise, but so I, yeah, I, I think that's a good one to check out. Great. Good answers. Um, I just realized we didn't even talk about um, Elle Fanning. Uh, of course, the star of The Girl from Plainville and The Great. Um, Jason, what do you think about Elle Fanning? <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit like that I don't have a show with her. I feel a little bit like, uh, you know, <laughs> lacking something or something. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think she's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get on it. Um, thank you all so much for chatting today. I really appreciate it. Uh, come so back good. anytime. Uh, go make us more TV in the oh meantime. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Okay. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.